Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Here is the Crescendo Music Education Podcast, episode number 43. In this episode, you're going to listen to a fellow called Rowan Hardy. He's a secondary music teacher on the Sunshine Coast. And at the moment, he's doing his PhD, doing research at the Queensland Con, Griffith University. And he's investigating playful pedagogical approaches amongst secondary music classroom teachers. It's really interesting. I have a lovely chat to him. Enjoy part one of this interview. Hello and welcome to the Crescendo Music Education Podcast to Rowan Hardy. Welcome, Rowan. Hey, Deb. How are everybody? Are you good? (laughs) We are all fabulous. And I'm going to start by reading your little bio, okay? Yeah, sure. So Rowan Hardy is Head of Department for the Arts with the Queensland Department of Education, a specialist in music curriculum. He is a subject matter expert on the external examination writing team with the Queensland Curriculum and Assessment Authority and is the lead curriculum writer on the National Advisory Team for the Songmakers Program with the Australian Performing Rights Association. I don't know about that. You'll have to tell me later. Okay. His PhD research which is what I want to have a chat to you about, at the Queensland Conservatorium, Griffith University, investigates playful pedagogical approaches amongst secondary music classroom teachers through such collaborative, improvisatory and experimental approaches to teaching. He aims to develop professional practice in effective and equitable ways. Well, there's so much that. <laughs> but there's a lot in there though and most it's hard of, to sum up it's hard to sum up stuff in about 150 words <laughs> yeah well I think you did really well this it sounds absolutely fascinating Thanks, um, so many of those words I just love them not just because they're big <laughs> like this <Yeah. laughs> there's a lot to unpack for each word really isn't it yeah there is <laughs> Lots of bang for your buck. So listening to that brief bio, is there anything you would like to add to this summary of your work? I guess like to sum it up from my heart, because I think what you've probably heard is from my brain. Most of my professional career has existed in the classroom and Mm -hmm. it still is to this day as a teacher. And I first and foremost trained as a musician. And my teaching career was certainly something that I fell into and I fell in love with. It wasn't something I never embarked on from the beginning. So that's essentially my story. And that continues to kind of play true through my narrative as I go through all those fluffy words in my bio. (laughs) And I guess what I'm inspired about most now I'm moving into research is change for teachers and the realization from a policymaker's perspective that as musicians and music teachers, we teach in a spirit and we approach our music teaching as musicians and it's kind of something I'd love to discuss more today is that 
there's potential for us to work through this in music education in Australia. And that's, that's, that's where I'm headed, I think. But yeah, like we, we just before discussed my existence as a teacher in a, in a metropolitan area. And now I'm, I'm actually living on the Sunshine Coast in what is considered a regional area. And just that change in the complete change in professional life and existence in two, just two very closely geographical areas in, in Queensland alone. So what, well, my hope is that I can I can resonate my story throughout Queensland, and particularly for those teachers that work in far out regional areas that don't have those networks and don't have that collective like you would in a metropolitan area to make that policy change. That's something I'm really inspired by, and that's part of my story, really. So I hope that adds to the like from my heart a little more. <laughs> yes, it does. But but I think what you're saying, where you are, depends a lot on though you're in the same system and we're certainly mm. going to be very careful, we will walk our code mm. of conduct line and we will not, you know, but yeah. even within an, the exact same system, working mm. from a national curriculum, you move a couple of hundred kilometres, which in Australia is like nothing, and <laughs> it's chalk and cheese in yeah. many ways. So I think we're dependent mm. on the region, the mm. messages that are coming down from that region, mm. the messages that are coming through your admin team. Are your mm. admin team supportive of what you do and how you do it? There are so mm. many variables and mm. you are the music teacher. Like I'm coming from a yeah. primary context, as yeah. you know, you're secondary. Yeah. But oh, that's another point. We've really got to get yeah. primary and secondary teachers talking to each other for yes, goodness absolutely. sake. Yeah, I've only been absolutely. trying to do it for 40 years. <laughs> we just don't. But I mean, no, I think what it's very easy and instrumental music is exactly the same. I would probably, mm. I would say having had experience as an instrumental music teacher, it's even more so. It's very isolating. And having worked with primary music teachers in that context, even in Brisbane, you would be in the school for 45 minutes before you're off to your next school or you'd just quickly touch base with someone around your pigeonhole or, you know, mm-hmm. say hello as you, as you, as you leave. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. The, uh, yeah. The um the context is always changing if you're if you're in that itinerant circuit or if you're moving regionally like I've done you know just up the road a, an hour and a half you very quickly can feel like you are repeating yourself to some of the policymakers um, and that includes people in administrative roles in schools who enact that policy and to try and advocate for music education and, mm-hmm. and you often feel like you're alone it's a, it's a it's a really hard existence I, I completely empathize with that mm-hmm. so and, and having had that you know experience myself let's face it I'm mid-career I'm only 20 years into education so I've kind of um experienced that quite acutely in the last few years and as many of us would have as well with the pandemic it's been quite even like agitated even more so yeah I'm I'm passionate about educating teachers in I guess what we'll get to soon will be around that idea of collaborating more and communicating Mm. more with one another in the spirit of education which is sort of what we were saying before about secondary and primary teachers working together there's so much that we can learn from one another yeah, Um, I I think it's essential that we make these connections and crescendo my little you know mission mm. bio catch phrase, whatever it is for Crescendo, is connecting, supporting and inspiring music educators. And I put connecting first 
deliberately. We have yeah. to. We have to get on the same page. We have mm-hmm. to connect with each other, connect mm-hmm. with, as you're saying, and I think this is really vital, we need to mm-hmm. connect with the policy makers. Mm-hmm. We need to help educate people around how mm-hmm. important what we do actually is for the child. Mm-hmm. So I just could not agree more. It is all yeah. about this this collaboration and understanding each other. So mm-hmm. the question is, how do we do it? But anyway, we might, you might yeah. have some suggestions. One of the ways I do it <laughs> is through inventing Crescendo 22 years ago. Yeah. So that's my way of doing something, bringing people together. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But there's got to be other ways. My work with um, mm-hmm. the Queensland Teachers Union mm-hmm. through music mm-hmm. for every child every week, that is yeah. helping. But there's got to be more we can do. And I also, mm-hmm. The whole reason I'm actually speaking to you, Rowan, is trying to connect more with what's happening in the research world to help inform us at the coalface because I work full-time in a very busy primary school with uh, Mm. thriving music choirs and instrumental and I coordinate that. And so, you know, I don't have time to go off and, well, one, do the research, two, (laughs) do much more than read a quick summary on someone's blog. <laughs> you know, how do we connect all of those things up is mm. that's one of my issues and it's why yeah. I'm talking to you to yeah. at least make a start with the connections. Of course, yeah. And I think the, I mean, the underlying value of research for me is not necessarily the outcome or the what it produces it's the philosophy that it inspires and I think that for me stepping into that world of research in the last few years besides the knowledge that I'm gaining from reading and immersing myself in a lot of these theories um, which we'll obviously discuss soon I'm more inspired by the philosophy that it's it's bringing about within my my compass I guess you could say so the way that I relate with the world as a musician and how that affects my professional life or how how I can use my skills as a musician to be a more agile professional. And, and by that, I mean, be able to independently develop ways to affect that policy change or figure out how to break those particular rules for want of a better word or turn of phrase. And then having these kinds of connections, these conversations are another great part that comes out of doing research is that you end up networking with people who like we haven't we haven't talked about this ever this is so exciting like you know and to be shared throughout these networks is is also inspiring for me it's so cool so that's probably the that that to me is the essence of why I'm doing research as I said it's not about trying to prove something to the world it really is about opening up a a richer philosophy about music education so that um, we can as as a group challenge these types of policies rather than it be you know from hard-working people like yourself who are like the like you feel alone in the fight sometimes mm-hmm. you know to change that policy so I'm hoping that's the ripple effect of what this work will create in the future so that's that's yeah essentially what I'm inspired by yeah so I think I'm getting a sense that it's doing two main things I'm mm. about to summarize terribly here, sure, okay. <laughs> sweeping generalizations, right? That through <laughs> doing this, you're learning and it's affecting your personal philosophy and mm. your 
work with children and with other educators. So so obviously mm. that's informing your outlook mm. and your perspectives. But also what you're doing, because you're doing research in this slightly bigger field, it's mm. actually going to inform us as a group as well. And and I think mm. both things are important if we don't have the the research and the the more academic type backing for what we do, then all yeah. we can say is, hey, guys, come and look at the kids in my room, look at them over seven years, have a look at the amazing things we do. Now, mm. I know for a fact the amazing positive influence that we can have as music educators. I know. I see it mm -hmm. literally every day. But someone who is not in my classroom does not know that. I was going to say, Deb, that that divide has always been really evident for me like even before I embarked on research I never engaged with it deeply because I felt a disconnect between the world of research and the, the world of being a professional mm -hmm. or being a, mm -hmm. being that music teacher or the person on the coal face and having to do like you're saying you know lose countless lunch times countless mornings and after afternoons weekends you're just constantly doing everything on your own it's just it is a lot of work besides the face-to-face -face classroom mm. time I always felt there was like oh well you don't understand what it's like to be in my position like mm. can't make those statements about you know the profession that's and that's what I'm trying to join together that's mm -hmm. that's what I'm really trying to approach this with is an openness to that world at the same time as piecing together my lived experience in this in a role as a music teacher as an instrumental music teacher as a classroom music teacher and I'm I've been a head of department for 15 years now so I know and I understand the aspects of the job or the, the professional mindset of a teacher and that's that's certainly become you know that's entered into like the realm of research for me now and I've started to question you know the actual professionalism the role of the professional like what is music professional like what is what does that look like what is a teaching professional what does that involve and as I said earlier if I came to education as a trained musician how can I use those aspects of my musical training or my musical passion I have for music in my professional Mm. Are there coexisting aspects of my professional life and my musical life or are they separate identities? That's what I'm trying to kind of come to terms with, I think. And what research is doing for me at the moment is opening up the, the possibility for bringing in aspects of my musical or artistic life into my professional life and vice versa, which has been great, like really eye-opening. Um, and it's made me think very divergently about how to approach some of these challenges we talked about before, about navigating the policy or being having more agency as a teacher to to make more choice over what the policy is telling us to do. Yeah. So because agency yeah. can be such a big one too, depending yeah. where you are. Again, depends where yeah. you are, who your team is. Absolutely. I, I, I know experienced music educators, and again, I'm speaking from the primary context, yeah, who have yeah. landed in a school and been told you will use C2C units and mm, you mm. will use those assessment. Now, I know the people who wrote those C2C units, there's some gold in there. They're yeah, amazing, yeah. right? Mm, but mm. if someone told me I have to teach those units, those lessons, and that I would actually, I would probably quit, but that's a different yeah. story. I, I just seriously, I'd say, have you no respect for me mm. as a professional yeah. 
So, and I know that in some cases, these things are literally forced on you. And again, I want to reinforce that I am not dissing the C2C. You know, they were written with a particular purpose in mind. Mm, mm. But you have to have that agency. You have to have the the professional Mm. respect to be able Mm. to create your own programs and guide those children to great learning. And I love this concept of trying to bring in what it is that makes a musician because Mm. I I believe all of my children are musicians from the second they walk in. I want them to have that attitude. Mm. Mm. Interesting. So I'm it's like I I guess the the two identities I struggle with is Mm. that professional identity of being told what to do or being having to work within a box or having to tick certain boxes or as we'll talk about soon, the risk aversion of professional, the professional mindset, you know, then on the other hand, like I'm, I was jazz trained. So my musical background is improvisational. It's, it's about taking risks and experimenting and it's about being open to failure and making mistakes. So there's a real dichotomy between the two that I struggle with, which is what brought me to research in the first place, is that, well, I don't understand how I can have this mindset, which is of a musician, and I'm, I want to advocate for that in music education because that's what inspired me to do music. But on the other hand, in my professional life, I've got a very, the policies around me, and it's not the people who enact those policies. It's the, it's the way the policies are written or interpreted sometimes. Mm-hmm. You need to be you know, approached them with that same level of experimentation or risk-taking. So it's very, it's a tricky balance between the two, very tricky. And that's what I'm hoping research will kind of create some space, like there's a gap in the middle that I'm hoping research will help me kind of discover some more or, or come to some more conclusions, perhaps even give me more questions. <laughs> no, that's so, the problem with research, isn't yeah. it? It often yeah. uncovers more <laughs> questions. Yeah, but that's learning. Absolutely. That's yeah, learning. Absolutely. You realize mm-hmm. that the more you know, yeah. the more you realize you don't know. Yeah, completely. Yep. <laughs> I love it. I, look, I think I want to come back to some of the things yeah. that I had earlier in our questions because sure, I want to get course. straight into your mm-hmm. work around mm-hmm. play and playfulness. Yeah. Yep. Okay. So, what your research is and what that means for us as music educators. Yeah, sure, sure. So this is a big answer. So I'll try and package it up so that it makes some sense and I can give you an overview. So we know it's very well researched that the benefits of play or musical play within a classroom, particularly in early childhood, it's great for the child. And there's research to say that that's even the case for adolescents and people in higher education. So I'm not really exploring much about the student-teacher interaction with that. What I'm really interested in exploring where my research is going is in the teacher-teacher reaction uh, interaction. So the way we use those same concepts of play, and we'll get to this in a minute, as teachers together and how we use those modalities or the spirit of play I talk a lot about or the ethos behind play in the way we interpret policy curriculum, the way we behave as teaching professionals or the way we generate agency as music teachers. And I'm interested in exploring what that might look like. So that's kind of the, that sums up the direction my research is headed in. We know, and we've discussed within the research of education policy in Australia and in Queensland, there seems to be a perceived crisis in 
confidence of, of music teachers and my research looks at secondary music in their agency, what we've discussed. So I'm really interested in teachers' opportunities for the provocation of those policy discourses. So how they can empower more agency in the way they do their work through using or interacting with it or looking at it, viewing it through a lens of play. We know there's some professional accountability also that we've got to balance assessment practices. And you talked earlier about the concept of instrumentation or instrumentalism, I think the word is. So C2C units, for example, can be interpreted by some as, you know, you do this. And obviously that's not the intent of the work that the Queensland government put together for that. But it can certainly be like, interpreted through an administrator's lens as you know play it safe do what i've told you to do which takes away that that personalized approach to music education so there's a systematic reliance i guess you could say on evidence-based policy in in education which is also a bit of a tension that i'm exploring because what that does is it is it means that we need to stick to the script and do what you're told to do because evidence or research says it does this. So that's something I'm, I'm battling with because it's ironic that I'm doing research in it. So, because play is quite ambiguous and you know, and it's hard to, it's hard to define. Um, Some say it's, it's almost impossible to define play. So it's trying to find what point I was getting to earlier is that what what are playful modalities? What do they look like as a teacher? So are they ways of working with other colleagues, of interpreting the policy? Uh, is it about embodying a, a greater sense of risk um, or experimentation or even an openness and vulnerability as music teachers to experience mistakes in the way we do our jobs, the way we write, interpret curriculum? Is it about this idea of spontaneity and improvisation in the way we teach. I mean, I'm I'm very guilty of being a I'm a teacher that plans between my staff room and the door of the classroom often. <laughs> <laughs> and it's not out of choice. It's often because like I'm as as we talked about before, I'm that flat out. Yep. It's just getting from point A to point B. Yes. But are we like, are we able to explore more of that? aspect of our job because what could be of benefit for the children is it could be amazing it could be it could be just what music education needs to be able to demonstrate to those people around us that it's that it is everything we say it is is that it does engage students in creative avenues for exploring sound or exploring aspects of their personality or creating collaborative spaces for kids to work. Music is fertile soil for that. Cultural understanding, uh, oh, the list goes on. So where I'm really headed with this is how play might generate or a spirit of play might generate new knowledge and insights for teachers through that idea of experience. So the experience of working in the classroom, the experience of interacting with your colleagues. Um, I, I give you an example of my previous school in Brisbane. I used to spend a lot of time playing music with my music, my fellow music teachers. And we had, I was fortunate to have a, a staff of three or four classroom music teachers, but we often were in one another's classrooms or before school playing in a band together with the kids. We're often performing with the children, supporting them. I could see that aspect of my musical personality or musical identity in the classroom 
just as much as I could that professional identity. So that's an example of kind of where I'm going. And we'll, one of the questions we can talk about later is around nuggets. And there's some stuff in there that I can throw into the mix. Oh, as yeah. Well. I'm looking forward to your nuggets. They'll be yeah. coming <laughs> I, I from that quite summarizes a it then. No, look, I think that's good. There's lots of questions. Of yeah. course, the more you say, the more questions I have. Hey, that's Absolutely, the nature yeah. of learning, isn't it? Because <laughs> I'm just looking at this thinking of me and all of the people that mm. I have the privilege of yeah. working with. These are the things that have popped into my head as you were talking mm. about. A lot mm. of this comes down to allowing the teacher, giving mm. them the professional respect to give them choice and agency, mm. right? That mm. I'm lucky I get that where I work, which is why I'm so happy where I'm working. Yeah, That's an essential ingredient to what you're talking mm. about. The teachers mm. have to have that agency. I think mm. it also, another key thing in what you've said for me was about confidence and the confidence to be vulnerable, mm. okay? I mm. have not a problem <laughs> expressing that I actually don't know about that. Can you tell me yeah. more? But I do think that there is a characteristic I have noticed in some music mm. educators is to not want to admit that they mm. don't know it. They need mm. to, and, and partly that could be from the position that they find themselves in, in schools. Yeah, They need yeah. to have the confident front and I know what I'm doing because there is a balance there to knowing what you're doing, doing the best you can, but mm. still having that vulnerability. Thanks, Brene Brown. Mm. You know, you have yeah. to, yeah. you need that. If you mm. aren't open mm. to admitting that you don't know everything and that you're mm. learning from others. You haven't got a hope. So you no. have to have that vulnerability on top mm. of the confidence knowing you're doing your best, mm. but still mm. be vulnerable. And the other, I mean, I love working with teachers is key to this. Mm. Absolutely. Mm. It's my happy place. I do yeah. so much work, lots of intentional collaboration with Deb Bryden. We, you know, she's my work wife, I call her. Um, <laughs> but I work with so many amazing people and that's what fuels me. It's what yeah. gives me ideas, inspiration, so that working with colleagues essential. And mm. the other thing I'm thinking of is creativity slash play. Are they basically synonyms? in your work or are they a yeah. bit different? And then I'll be quiet because they were just things that came into my head yeah. listening yeah. to you. Yeah, it's with that question, potentially, I mean, one way of framing it is around process and for want of a better word, product or outcome. So play I see as a process. It's not a, there's no like activity that is play. Play is as you see, like if I put this back into the lens of a, of, a, of a young person and I've got three young kids, so I see it every day. But if I've got, if I see kids playing around me, I see a sense of vulnerability, of flow, a sense of, I guess, this loss of awareness of their surroundings. So I don't know that's cognitively the case of, of kids that age, but there really is a sense of experimentation, of being creative the of being a creative so plays definitely the process that i see that happen or the conditions that allow for that creativity are, are created through the spirit of play is is what i kind of refer back to again mm. the space for that spontaneity or that interaction and that and that even in some cases that concept of excess 
when I play, I, I try out ideas that I wouldn't necessarily put in front of a bunch of people in a controlled circumstance, like a classroom, for example, where there is, like we've said, that professional accountability, where there's that aversion to take the risk or that like fear of looking stupid in front of a bunch of kids and potentially the behavior problems that stem from that. Right. Mm -hmm. That's a, that is a major, that's a major factor for a teacher. Hence why I return to what interactions do we have as musicians and music teachers between ourselves that foster that spirit, that ethos. And that's what I want to explore more of because the way I see us, you know, moving through these policy changes and creating the ripple effect I talked about earlier is through engaging more in these interactions and bringing that spirit within the interactions we have as musicians and teachers together, perhaps even through communities of practice, which is quite also quite a broad term, but how can we create new, you know, methodologies and ways of working together that investigate you know, the possibilities of what if I tried this in my lesson next, you know, and then brought that confidence or that willingness to take a risk within your classroom in that sense, because then you can tangibly see evidence of creativity and the things happening in your classroom that every music teacher wants to see. So that's kind of the, yeah, that sums up a little of where I'm at with research. My next step is in study phase. So I'm actually about to embark on interviews with teachers and putting all of this work together. So it's very much philosophical, as I said earlier, in my mind at the moment, because I'm not yet at the point of really carrying out the study and pulling together all the narratives and stories of different teachers to be able to see what this might look like or how this might be interpreted. So this is a great chat we're having now because <laughs> this is the beginning of where I'm at. It's, I, it's so exciting. It makes me so happy. So, yeah. Oh, it, it just, it sounds fascinating. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. A, a quite, hopefully quite inspiring for people. And I think there's a lot of, I think there are a lot of musicians and music teachers out there that that want that liberation. They want to feel that you know, oh, I can, I can go and try this out. Like there are others around me doing it, or I've got some critical friends that, you know, I've tried this out with, we talked about it or we nodded it out together. And I can bring that same spirit that I had or that same mode that I was in when I, when I did that into my classroom and it might really bring some energy and otherwise inspire some really interesting music making in the classroom. I like it. It might even work slightly in reverse. There might be mm. somebody that goes, actually, I do this in my room and it yeah. works really well and I feel and I will share this because it worked for me. Yeah. And so, yes, it's a yeah, it's the connection and the communication. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. And that, oh, I think this sounds fascinating. You, you have to keep me up to oh, date. Oh, yeah, of course. Yeah, thanks, Deb. Yeah. Where you're up to. <laughs> yeah, it sounds wonderful. <laughs> it sounds great. Thank you for joining me for this podcast. Don't forget that you'll find the show notes on crescendo.com.au forward slash the podcast number of this episode. Also, you can find the transcripts there. So you've got all of the detail that you need. If you've found this podcast useful, I'd really love it if you share the link with a colleague. Remember, all I can be is the best version of me. All you can do is be the best you. 
we'll meet again. I hope we will. <laughs> Bye. As we know, laughter relieves stress. Don't lose sight of the funny side of life. I am terrified of elevators, so I'm starting to take steps to avoid them. <laughs> Stop.